Welcome to Faith Sermons and Studies with Pastor Joe DeVitro. Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24, and um, two weeks ago we started down a path of uh, looking at a phrase that is in this Olivet Discourse that Jesus is giving as he's sitting on the Mount of Olives, he's overlooking the Temple Mount uh, across the valley there, and he is gathered around by his disciples, and the disciples ask him two questions. Uh, the first question is, what are going to be the signs of your coming, and what is the end of age? And Jesus, in the Olivet Discourse here, is going to describe to his disciples what it's going to be like in answering these two questions. What is it going to be like at the end of the age, and what is it going to be like at the return or at your coming? And uh, we looked down through this passage of Scripture, and down towards the bottom, we found a phrase, and it says this, like in the days of Noah. And this for me was the spark of this series. And, and the question I've been asking every week is, are we in the days of Noah? And, and the answer is really, it depends, right? Depends on what part of the story of Noah you're talking about. If you're talking about the 120 years before the ark is done, before the rain comes down, uh, we are very much living in the days of Noah. If you're talking about the judgment being rained down and the rain's coming down and the floods are coming up, remember the old kid song, and the rains came down and the floods came up. We know the rain came from the sky. We know waters came from underneath the earth at the same time to flood the earth. And if we're talking about the outpouring of judgment on the world, are we in the days of Noah? The answer is no. We're not there yet. And Matthew 24 and 25 are going to give us descriptions of all of these times, what are going to be the signs of your coming? What is it going to be like, Jesus, when you come again? And then the second part of it is, what are the marks of the end of the age? So we're going to begin to un unfold these today. Uh, we spent a little bit of time talking about how we interpret Scripture, how certain people overemphasize certain portions of Scripture, how some people view the end times as all doom and gloom, how some people view it as the blessed hope, as some people think, well, you know, things aren't going to be really that bad. I mean, some people believe we're already living in the end times. So there's all kinds of different opinions about what's going on today. But what does the Bible actually teach when it comes to the end age? Well, I can't think of a better source to ask than Jesus himself, right? If you want to know what the signs are going to be when he returns, and you want to know what it's going to be like at the end of the age, wouldn't the best person to interview be Jesus himself? Now look at your Bible. If you have a red letter edition of your Bible, Matthew 24 and 25 are what colors? And red signifies what? Jesus is doing the speaking. So if we ever wanted to get to the bottom of a, of, of a narrative, if we ever wanted to mine out the truth of it, where should we look? Let's look to Jesus Christ. So this morning, I'm going to read the, the beginning verses for us. I'm going to read verses 3 through 14, and then we're going to go back through and systematically show you five signs that Jesus gives when it comes to the end of the age or before his return. 
And uh, he, we're going to mine these out today together, and we're going to see what the Bible actually teaches when it comes to these things. So let's, let's begin uh, reading down through here. It says in Matthew 24, we're going to start at verse 3, and we'll read down to verse 14. Uh, I'll do the reading here. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So they really want to know three things, right? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age, and when will these things be? All three of them are asked right there in the verse. And Jesus answered them and said, See that no one leads you astray. Now what does that infer right off the bat? There's going to be people that have differing opinions of what Jesus is going to tell you here. I mean, the first words out of Jesus' mouth after their question is, be careful. Be careful on this because there's going to be people who are going to lead you astray when it comes to the end times. Verse 5, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must first take place and the end is what? You mean the Ukraine war isn't the start of the end times? The Taiwanian war that's going to come here with, with China is not the end of the world? What? World War I was going to be the end of all wars, remember? And after World War I came what? Whoops. But then Israel became a nation, so it's even more true now. And then what? Exactly. Then what? So don't, don't get caught up when you hear wars and rumors of wars. These must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. Do we see that here? Kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. I saw where Hensworth had an earthquake just a couple days ago. Down there in uh, southern Missouri. All these are but what? The beginning of... Now you ladies who have given birth... The beginning of birth pains is the worst part, isn't it? <laughs> I have several that just openly laughed and others are grinning like, are you serious? Then why is it when we see these things, we're all saying, oh, this is so bad. What did the Bible tell us? If it's the beginning of birth pains, are those the worst pains or the best pains? You're like, there is no such thing as best pain, Right? There's less pain and more pain and severe pain and excruciating pain, right? So these are all about the beginnings of the birth pains. These things are, are normal. These are contractions of time. Verse 9, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Kind of a loaded passage of scripture here, isn't it? A lot of stuff going on. We got some things repeated multiple times by Christ at the beginning, but he starts out with a warning. Actually, he doesn't start with a warning. He starts out with a fact. And the fact is this. There is an end to the age. There is an end to this world. This world is not going to keep going on like it always has. 
Things are not going to keep going on like they always will. There is an end to the world. There is an end to the age that we are living in. Now, if that is true, then what does that mean about God? What does that mean of God? He's in control. And Jesus here is asserting to the fact that Jesus Christ, or that God the Father, is in control of what happens in the world. And when the disciples come to him and they're asking him genuinely these three questions, they're wanting to know for themselves what the end is going to be like. And Jesus says, first thing I want you to understand is you've got to be really careful when it comes to end times because when it comes to this topic, there are a lot of people who are going to deceive you. They're going to try. There's a lot of opinions that are going to be out there. A lot of thoughts are going to be out there. But what really matters is what have you learned? What do you know? And what have I revealed to you? That's what Jesus is going to tell them. But Jesus is going to give them, right after this warning, five signs to answer these three questions. Now, not all of these are for our time period that we're living in. Remember, if we're in the 120 years, picturesque, not a literal 120, but if we're in the time in which the church is alive today, preaching the gospel and warning of a coming judgment of God, Just like Noah was alive, building the ark, warning of a coming judgment from God. Okay, see the parallel? We're both living in that time of warning of coming judgment. And Jesus himself says here in this passage, there is indeed judgment coming. There is persecution coming. There is also a gospel outpouring that's coming. Did you catch that? At the end, he says, all nations will hear what? The gospel. They're all going to know the gospel. So we're living in a very unique age in which the gospel is going out into all the world. We're seeing many of the things Jesus is describing in our time period. But the question is, where in the birth process are we? Are we at the beginning of the contractions? Are we mid? Are we right towards the end when birth is about to occur? Where are we on the timeline that Jesus gives us? And you know what the answer is? No man knows the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. We don't know. So what's he tell us? Be ready, right? And that's what we studied on the last two Sundays. But now I've got to start getting into the nitty gritty. We got to start mining into what the scripture says. And you know, today there are so many different opinions about what the end of times is going to look out, look at, look like. For some, they look at it and they presume that it's going to be some dystopian future. What's dystopian mean? Doom and gloom and the whole world's going to fall apart and, and all of mankind's going to go back to the Stone Age and there's going to be immense suffering and darkness and pain. And Bible doesn't teach that. Now, is there chaos outpoured during the tribulation? Yeah. I mean, a third of the world's population dies in one of the judgments. Is that kind of excessive? Is that kind of extreme? Uh, there's a third of the world's landmass that's uninhabitable in the tribulation. Does that seem kind of extreme? Um, the water's turning to blood. Uh, meteorites falling from the sky the size of Volkswagen. I mean, you know, I wouldn't want to get hit by a Volkswagen falling from the sky. I mean, these are catastrophic things that are occurring to our planet. You say, well, why in the world would meteors start hitting the earth? Has anybody ever looked at the surface of the moon? Look at the craters on that thing. Look at the shots that's taken for us. At some point, God's going to allow one to miss and hit us. Bible talks about that. Talks about earthquakes. It talks about floods. It talks about 
fire. It talks about famine. It talks about all these things. But they're all confined into a certain seven-year period. And we call that period what? The tribulation. And the tribulation is for the purification of Israel. The number seven is significant because it's a number of purification. When, when Nebuchadnezzar threw the children of Israel, I shared a little bit of this in Sunday school. When Nebuchadnezzar threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, he threw them in there and commanded the furnace to be heated up how many times hotter? Seven times hotter. And when the guards tried to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, what happened to the guards who threw them in? They were burned up instantly. And yet, not only was there three men alive in the fire, but how many were there? And the fourth one looked like who? Who's in control? Who's in control? You see, the God of the universe that created all things is in control of even the end time events. So we don't have to fear that everything's going to be dystopian and it's all doom and gloom. God's still in control. Now, I wouldn't want to be here during the tribulation, and I hope you don't either. And the loved ones that you have, I hope they're not here. But the reality is there will be some that go into this. Some presume that there's an unending progress of the end times. In other words, we are constantly living in the end times because we're constantly living today. So what is tomorrow? Another day. Thus, it's a continual cycle that never actually happens. We just live a day because our great-great-grandfathers thought Jesus was coming back in their day. Paul thought Jesus was coming back in his day. And we just continually go on with the same mentality and process. Now, if you want to use analytics in your own brain and thinking, that would make sense. But what if you inject a sovereign, all-powerful, almighty, ever-present God into that equation? Could there be an end? Well, yeah, of course. And he says there would be. Some presume that AI is going to outpace human beings and robots are going to take over the world and put humans to extinction. I would say you've been watching too much sci-fi channel myself, but, you know, hey... You never know. Um, no, I don't think that's going to happen either. Some presume that we will destroy ourselves. We'll set off a bunch of nuclear bombs, and the entire world will be uninhabitable, and thus mankind kills himself in the end. The irony is God created us, but we stopped ourselves and killed ourselves, so now God doesn't have to deal with any of us. Annihilationism, right? Interesting. Some presume... That God has a plan and he's going to bring it to pass. That's the camp I'm in. God said it, that settles it. Because if God is God, what can he not do? He can't lie. He's not going to sin. He's not going to go against his word. He can't change and go against his own character. Because if God is God, he's the same yesterday, today, and... So then I can trust his word regardless of what I see with my eyes. I can trust him with my mind and my heart. So even though my eyes are deceiving me, I still know he's in control. And I'm going to presume that that's where you are today as well. But if you find yourself in one of the other categories, or you find yourself in your own camp today, well, I think this is going to happen in the entire... Okay, fine. Hold, the, hold on to that thought. But then as we start digging through the passages of Scripture, I hope that you'll be honest with the text. That's the only thing I ask, if you're the skeptic this morning. Let the scripture speak for itself. We're not going to twist it. We're not going to inject it our, ourselves into it. We're not going to manipulate it. We're going to take the text for what it says. And then we're going, to, we're going to present it to you. So this morning, I want us to think about or look into the five signs 
that Jesus Christ gives for the end of the age. What are going to be five birth pains? Or what, what are going to be five signs or five mile markers, if you will, that we can look at for the end of the age? And through verse 14, he gives us all five of them. So let's, uh, let's begin to mine that out. Now, we are going to look at a couple other scriptures, and, and I don't have so much time this morning that we can just un, unfold everything in here. You're going to have to do some self-study. But I'm going to give you enough that you can go back and you can check it out for yourself. So what are the signs of the end of age? Number one, false teaching from false prophets. Is any of that evident in our world today? <laughs> Has anybody seen something like this at all in your time? Go with me to 1 John, and this won't be on your screen, but go with me over to 1 John. And um, I want to look at what 1 John has to say about um, what it's going to be like when we get towards the end of days. Look with me at chapter 2. And I'm going to start reading at verse 18. And uh, this is what Matthew had to say about it. He said, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Here's what John has to say about it. Verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. Remember, what did Jesus ask, or what did the disciples ask Jesus? What are going to be the signs of your coming, and what is the end of the age, and what will it be like? in the last hours before you come. So here, children, the last, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. How do we know that we're living towards the end times? There's going to be false teachers and false prophets saying something. What are they going to say? Verse 19. And they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you will have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know the truth. You know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is Christ? Do you know that in Protestant churches today... 40% of believers don't believe that Jesus is Christ. 40% of Protestant churches in America today don't believe Jesus is Christ. They're questioning his virgin birth. They're questioning whether or not he can really do the miracles. That, that's a huge number in our country right now. You know what that tells me? People don't know what the Bible teaches. We're religious, but we don't know what the Bible teaches. Now, remember what 1 Peter told us when we... Or, yeah, First Peter told us when we first read this morning about what the church's job is and warning people and letting people know what, what we believe and how we believe it. Let's go on and keep reading here. Verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. And I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father has, or denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. 
I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Who? They're trying to what? They're trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you've received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. Now, my little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And then he goes on to challenge the Gnostics in the very next chapter. Those who say, well, they know him, but they, they have a more experiential knowledge of him. They have more insight of him than other people do. And he warns that those that are saying that at the end of the age are indeed false teachers. Not my words, John's words, Holy Spirit's words. Do we live in an age in which you see false teachers proclaiming things about Jesus Christ? or proclaiming themselves to be Jesus Christ, or things about Jesus Christ that are not true. And if we see that, you are seeing one of the signs that Jesus said will mark the coming of the, the second coming of Christ. So false teachers teaching from false prophets. Now let's go back to Matthew 24 and look at how many times he actually warns about this. He says in verse 4, and I read this to you a minute ago, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Matthew 24, look at verse 6. And you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you not are alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is what? Not yet. Verse 8. But all these things are but the beginnings of the birth pains. Verse 11. And many false prophets will come and what? Lead many astray. So he warns them at the beginning, don't be led astray. And at the end he says, but many will be led astray. Are many being led astray today by false teachers and false words that are being taught in pulpits around the world? Absolutely. Absolutely. Peter warns us about it. You remember in Jude, Jude warned us about it. John is warning us about it. And so is Matthew and Jesus Christ himself are warning us about it. So when you look at this, you see that this is a big thing that Jesus leads right out at the beginning and shares with us, this is a sign and when we see that, understand you're at the beginning of birth pains. You're, you're somewhere in that timeline when you see this on a, on a big level. Now, let me give you number two. This one we're not going to spend a lot of time on, but because really he touches it and then doesn't touch it again until later on. But there's going to be wars and violence going on. Do you realize that in the last hundred years, America has been at war more than we haven't been? Think about that. Our country has been a brawler of the world for almost a century. Now, Grant, are we doing it for good causes? I don't know. Depends, right? I don't know what's going on in Ukraine. Do you? I don't know why we're over there. I don't know what we're doing. But you know what? Our country has been at war in the last hundred years. Uh, actually, if you were to take your lifetime specifically, probably America's been at war more in your lifetime than we haven't been at war in your lifetime. Because if it wasn't World War II, it was what war? Korea. And if it wasn't Korea, it was... And if it wasn't Vietnam, it was Desert Storm. And if it wasn't Desert Storm, it was probably Kosovo. And if it wasn't Kosovo, it was probably Desert Storm Two, or Desert Shield, right? Desert Shield, Desert Storm, whatever. And if it wasn't that, it was probably... Um, oh, yeah, Afghanistan. And then if it wasn't Afghanistan, it was probably 
war on terror, and it wasn't war on terrorism. It, do, do you see what I'm saying? How many decades has our country been at war? And now all of a sudden Russia's at war with Ukraine, and now we're complaining that Russia's at war, and this is, this is somehow a problem. We've been at war for decades, and we don't even notice that we're at war. And one of the signs Jesus says is that there's going to be wars and violence going on, but nobody really cares. The end is not yet. Who cares? Not a big deal. Look at verse 6 and 7 again of 24. And you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not what? Don't be alarmed by this. For this must take place. This is how God moves people around. This is how God moves countries around. This is how he reshapes countries. Ever look at a map of Israel when Jesus was alive and look at a map of or look at a map when Jesus was alive of the world and look at a map today? Aren't you glad it didn't change? Aren't you glad it's the exact same? No. It's it's hardly the same. I mean, think of uh, just 70 years ago or or almost 80 years ago. Now, Israel wouldn't even been on your map. It would have been called what? Palestine. It would have been occupied by what country? The Brits. The Brits would have had control of it. It would have been a British, part of the British colony. The British Empire, the Queen, owned it. Think about that. But aren't you glad God uses these things? But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be what? Famines, earthquakes, and various places. But the end's not yet. I mean, we have a... Uh, a shortage of stuff today in America, don't we? What, what are they calling it? Uh, we have a supply chain problem. Supply chain, that's the words we're using. What does supply chain mean? You can't get it, right? It, there, there's, a, there's a famine of product being able to go out. And if this Ukraine war keeps going on and we don't get grain out of Ukraine, then that's going to have an effect on the wheat market around the world. And if that has a that, that means we're in the end times. Does it? Or are these the things that God said would be the case as it leads up to the time in which Jesus Christ is going to return? See, when you understand and know the Bible, it gives you peace in the time of chaos. Because when you know the truth, the truth's going to do what? Set you free. I'm not going to get caught up in the drama of the world. Understanding what the Bible says gives me peace when everybody else is in distress. And what makes you different is what makes people wonder why you are different in the first place. Why is it you're not freaking out about coronavirus? Why aren't you freaking out about the supply chain? Why aren't we freaking out about... Because I know what the Word of God says. Let me ask you a question. Who supplies all your needs, you or God? So if God supplies it, why are you going to worry about it? I mean, let's face it. If God says He will supply all our needs, then why worry about it? There's only two reasons you're going to worry. Either one, you're not a believer, or two, you doubt God's ability. Which kind of makes you on the wrong side of the fence. You're either uneducated or you're willfully rebellion against God's standard. One of the two. Let's, let's move on here. So earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars. We know another passage of Scripture will tell us there's pestilence and disease and these things too. Do we see that in our world today? Yeah. It's there. So we're two for two so far in the marks, right? In our current time period. Let's go to number three. Religious persecution and betrayal. 
Wow, that was kind of cool. Just uh, betrayal. Religious persecution and betrayal. Do we see that in our world today? How about Afghanistan? How about Iraq? How about Saudi Arabia? How about the United States? How about Russia? How about Europe? Canada? How about COVID? You're not necessary. Churches are, are not needed. You guys got to close. You got to shrink. You got to get smaller. You got to become insignificant. We don't want you. We see this in our world today. Betrayal. People say one thing and they're betrayed. Look at Matthew chapter 24, verses 9 through 11. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and lead many astray. Does that sound like loving your brother as you would love yourself? Does that sound like love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and the second is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself? No. Matter of fact, this is what religion really does. If you were to go to... Uh, Afghanistan, or you were to go to Iraq. And by the way, our, our uh, missions conference is coming up here in just uh, about four weeks from today. And the missionary that we're going to have with us last week was in Afghanistan, and this week is in Ukraine. So if you want to know what's going on in the, in the world today, you want to know what's going on for Jesus Christ overseas, then, then you won't want to miss that Sunday he's going to be with us. Because when, when Tim's here, he's going to share with us real time what's going on over there when it comes to persecution. But amidst the persecution, guess what God's doing? He sent me three messages this week of Muslims that are getting saved in Afghanistan. Names I can't even pronounce to you, but God knows who they are. And now they're going back to their family and sharing with their family the gospel of grace. And it's costing them. One, one guy was followed for three years for preaching, and the police brought him in two weeks ago, roughed him up and said, hey, if you keep preaching at some point, somebody's going to tell us to kill you, and we're going to have to kill you. And he's like, you can't, basically said, you can't scare me to tell me I have to go see Jesus, is what the guy told the police. Go ahead and stop me. Americans live just like that, don't we? Isn't that just like us? I mean, I'm describing us today. I mean, man, we would just be like, Police said, don't go to church? Okay. Mm -hmm. Stop preaching the gospel? Okay. Here's the reality. We can't even get Americans to come to church anymore. Let alone be the church. We can't get them to spectate in church, let alone actually share the gospel with somebody. That's how bad America is. And if we're the Christian influence and we're the Christian banner for everybody else, we need to go back to First Peter. We need to go back and read that Peter passage again, because we're not doing what other countries are. We're not doing what Christians in other areas are doing, because we're afraid to have a Bible study in public. They're sharing the gospel in public and preaching in public and dying for it. That's a radical difference. And it's going to cost them their lives. It's going to cost them their family. It's going to cost them their jobs. And that's what Tim's going to come and tell us. 
This is real Christianity folks over there. They're not begging them to come to church. They're coming to church when they're threatened to be killed and being followed by the state. That doesn't even slow them down. Now, I'm not saying that, that we should... I'm going to let the Holy Spirit speak as he wants. Okay, That's not my goal to make us feel bad. But this is the reality of our Christian brothers and sisters. As we sit in our churches worried about whether a, a Muslim terrorist might come in and shoot up the place... They're over there in the Muslim world, walking into public places, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a little different perspective when you really look at it. We haven't even talked about China. How does China treat Christians? How about Russia? You go to Russia Day and preach the gospel. How are they going to treat you? You know, there's real persecution in our world today, and we're not experiencing it as Americans. But yet, you know, if, if Biden's in the White House, that's persecution. We're being persecuted because some party's in the White House and they're doing what we don't like. You know what? Maybe God's allowing that to happen because we're not doing our jobs. Maybe. We won the abortion. God gave us that one. But then look at what the regime we got. I don't know. Whom the Lord loves, he what? So... I'm not going to go any further on this point, but let's move to the next one. How about an increase in wickedness? <laughs> Anybody see that lately? <laughs> an increase in lawlessness, an increase in wickedness. Check out what Jesus has to say here in verse 12. He says, because lawlessness will be what? The love of many will what? So it's all going to be unicorns and rainbows and happy and peace and loving and... No. As we get closer to the end times, people are going to become more and more selfless. No. Selfish. Yes. Do you see that in your time period, in your lifetime? Have people become more giving or more selfish? Is the world more self-centered or are they more other-centered? And as you see more lawlessness increase, do you see more crime or less crime? This is... One of the marks that Jesus said are going to be present at the end of the age or before he comes or as he answers the question of the disciples here. So Jesus systematically giving them answers right to him and saying, when you see this, when you see this, when you see this, when you see this. And then number five, here's the big one. He says, the gospel will be preached to the whole world. When in the history of mankind has this one been fulfilled? The Bible today has been translated into more languages than any point in history. The gospel is more available. We, we have sent missionaries in more places than at any other time in human history. There is more access to God's word today through apps, through websites, through churches, through missionaries, through gospel-holding people. Most of us in this room don't have one Bible. We have what? Multiples of Bibles. Some of us have enough Bibles, myself included. I could, I could equip 25 people with the Bibles in my office. I just... We have more access to God's Word today. We have more preachers. We have more technology pushing the gospel out than any generation that's ever lived on the planet Earth before. Not even Jesus' time could claim this. You know what's crazy about that? You would think, oh, this, this definitely proves that we're in the end times. 
all the verses I read to you today, this morning, that we've been looking at the whole time, and you're sitting there thinking, yep, that's us, yep, that's us, yep, that's us. These are all describing the tribulation. Every verse that I've read to you is about the tribulation. Matthew 24, verses 3 through 14, are describing what it's going to be like during the tribulation period of our time. But they're true today, too. So that bodes the question, how long is it going to be? How much longer will it be that God withholds his judgment? Let's look at what the Bible says in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then what? (laughs) Guess what? Our generation doesn't bring the end. There's a thousand seven more years left to go. So these these verses can't be about us. These verses are about people in the tribulation. These These verses are about people that are going through the millennial kingdom of God because the end of the age is when the end of the earth exists and what happens at the end of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And behold, I, John, saw a new heaven and a new earth descending out of heaven. So there's a thousand and seven years before any of this happens. But it's happening right now. So if we think it's bad now, what's it going to get? Remember what we read in Peter when we first started the service? What is the job of the church today? As Christ was persecuted, we're going to be persecuted. We're going to be challenged in our faith. We're going to go through hard times. And may we be used as vessels of God's grace and vessels of God's mercy. May we love our brother and sisters as they go through trials. May we do the work of the ministry where we see the ministry needed to be done. And may we be cognizant about others more than ourselves. Because as the world grows closer to the return of Christ, the world is going to be more selfish than it is selfless. And all these things are a general reminder that we as Christians are called to stand firm. We're called to contend for the faith. Stand fast on truth. And if we won't stand fast on truth, who will? God has called us for a mission. God has called us on purpose to be something to the world, a light in the darkness, a beacon A city that's set on a hill that can't be hid. Remember the old song, This Little Light of Mine. You can sing it, it's okay. I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. What verse is that built on? Is that built on truth? Or is that just man's thoughts and a, a cute little song? The reality is, who controls your light? God trimmed your light, but who lets the light shine? Who chooses to allow light to be shown through them? Who allows themselves to be used for God's glory to be revealed in a dark place, in a dark time? So as we see the world around us and we hear these wars and rumors of wars and we hear about the economy is going to crash and we're going to find out that the end of the world is going to come because nuclear war is going to happen. Really? What's your Bible say? 1,007. 
thousand-year millennial and a seven-year tribulation, both taught in the Bible, on this planet, in this world, at this time. So from today, I can definitely tell you, a thousand seven years to go. You say, well, the, the, the earth is losing its resources, and well, what God can provide resources? Do you know that in the last, like, in your lifetime, one of the largest deposits of natural gas was found? Guess off the shore of what country? Israel. It was there the whole time. Nobody saw it. They found it. Oil. We're going to run out of oil and blah, blah. We're not going to run out of this stuff. Think about how many years the earth has been functioning with the oil that's been in the ground the whole time. How many years have we actually lived on oil? Remember when they were going to run out of iron ore back in the iron period? Guess what we still mine in Minnesota? Imagine that. And the more we dig it out, the more they find. Because my God will supply all my needs according to whose riches. So if he wants the earth to produce something, what do you think it'll do? If he wants the earth to not do something, what do you think it's going to do? So rather than walking around caught up in the drama of the world, why don't we as Christians trust God in his word and be firmly grounded and rooted in his word, knowing the truth, because when you know the truth, the truth will set you, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will be upon you. And then you'll go forth and you'll be my witnesses wherever you go. This is the truth of the end times. This is why we study the end times. It's not so that we can know what's going to happen in the future when we're not going to be here and who gives a rip. It's the fact that we don't want people to have to go into that time period in the first place. We don't want anybody. I don't think Noah preached for 120 years hoping nobody would get in the boat with him. Now, I've gotten on airplanes before, and I'm like, Lord, please let nobody sit next to me. Please let nobody sit next to me. Please let nobody. And, of course, they're two, you know, 300-pound guys, and I'm sitting in the middle like, this is great. Three and a half hours, this will be great. I don't think Noah was like that when he was building the ark, like, oh, please don't get in my boat. I don't want extra people. I don't think he was like that at all. You know what? We shouldn't be that way with the church today. Us four no more. We should be saying whosoever will. You come in the boat. Get in the lifeboat. Be saved from what's coming. Because the day is going to come in which the end of the times will start. The song we sang at the beginning, the Lord's going to come in the clouds. And when he comes in the clouds, that's going to be the start of the seven years of tribulation. And when, those time, when that period comes off, the things that we're reading here are going to be the very characteristics of that time period. So I am glad that I'm not going to be there for it, but this passage speaks of the great tribulation. And because of that, we're not going to take this and say, oh, if we see all these in our times, that means we're in the tribulation. No, we know the tribulation hasn't come because of an ordinance that God left us. Do you remember the ordinance? It's right here in front of us. This do in remembrance of, and what does it say? This do until I, why do we still observe the Lord's table then? Because we're publicly declaring he hasn't yet returned. We're looking forward to the day he returns, so we associate with his death, his burial, 
his resurrection, the body and the blood, baptism and the Lord's table. We celebrate these things publicly because we're looking forward to the day that Jesus Christ does what? Comes again. And the church will stop doing that when the church is no longer here. That's why it stops. And then, the things that are written in Matthew 24. By the way, remember, who did Matthew write his gospel to? Who's the main audience of his gospel? The Jews! So when we read Matthew 24 and 25, why is he writing like we're going to be there? Because who's the tribulation for? Because they are going to be there. Some of them are going to go into the tribulation. And some of them are going to see the false teachers. And some of them are going to be persecuted. And some of them are going to be killed. And some of them are going to be deceived. And some of them are not going to be deceived. And we know that as we look at this, we understand that Jesus Christ is talking to the Jews. He's projecting to the Jews what they are going to specifically go through. Where's the church in Matthew 24? It's not yet born. The church doesn't come to Acts. So he's talking to Jews, specifically a Jewish audience, letting them know that even though you are persecuted, even though these things are happening, the false teachers, all this stuff going on, your God is still in control. And you can trust him. And many are going to get saved as a result. Because what happens during the tribulation? 144,000, what nationality? 144,000 Jews do what? They evangelize the entire world with what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. So the gospel will go forth out in the tribulation. It's going to go out by means of the Jews. And it's going to be the Jews that fulfill the command that God originally intended for them to do. Get the gospel out to their entire world. And they'll accomplish it. And Jesus confirms it in this passage. That will happen. So, why study this then? Well, number one, we're called to stand firm and contend for the faith, right? That's one. Number two, we're in the beginning of the birth pains. We're already seeing these things happen. We're seeing some of the contractions of the world. We're seeing the, the hemorrhaging, if you will, of persecution and false teaching and famines and wars and rumors of wars and pestilence. We're seeing these things now. So what are the odds you're going to keep seeing them in the future? It's going to ramp up. It's not going to get worse. So we need to be ready for that. We need to be conscious of that. It's not going to become easier to be a Christian. It's going to become harder. There's not going to be more of us that endure persecution. There's going to be less that actually endure persecution. Because some are going to be deceived. So we need to watch for ourselves our own faith. We need to contend for the faith. We need to know the faith. We need to be students of the word of God. We live in a world that is a opposite to the things of God. And because of that, we should not be surprised when we are pushed to go in ungodly directions. We shouldn't be shocked when we have to choose whether or not we're going to go to church or obey a government. We're not going to be surprised when we're told we can't share our faith and our friend over in Afghanistan continues to go out and share his faith. And you're going to find out who he is when we get into our missions conference because Tim will tell you about him. But someday God is going to bring all these things to conclusion and he will remedy everything wrong with the world and he alone can make it right. Aren't you glad you have a God who can? 
our God, I love what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to the king back in their day. Being known unto the king, we will not bow, we will not bend, we will not worship. And if our God chooses to take us, then we're good with it. But being known unto you, king, we are not going to bend, we are not going to bow, and we are not going to worship your idol. God give us Christians like that today. That we're going to stand fast, stand firm, always be ready to give an answer to the people that ask us with hope. We have the hope. The one who endures to the end will be saved. How will people who go through the tribulation be saved in the end? Who comes back for them? Jesus Christ. Whose kingdom do they enter into? Jesus Christ's millennial reign. And are they saved then? They are forever. That's why Matthew 24, verses 3 through 13, are not verses written to the church. They're verses that are written to Israel. But they're apropos for us today. Why? Because when we see these things in microcosm, they're going to happen in macro as well. And things are going to ramp up as we get closer and closer to the end of days. Jesus said, what are the signs? Here they are. When you see these signs, know that the end is not yet, but it's coming. So what do we do as Christians today? Well, I think the biggest thing we can do right now is stand firm. Stand firm. Remember what Jude told us? Contend for the faith. Stand fast. Always be ready. And be out there sharing the gospel with those that need to hear. And if you don't have hope, then you won't have much to share. But if you have Jesus Christ, then you have the power of God working through you, and the gospel will penetrate in darkness. You know how I know? It already is. It's doing in our time. How many... I've, I wonder how many people were saved in Minnesota this last week versus how many people were saved in Afghanistan this last week. I wonder what those numbers would be. I wonder, only God knows. But I, it just makes you wonder, how effective is light where it's darkest? You ever been in a cave and somebody lights a match? You squint, why? It's bright. But light a match in this room and what's it look like? Light shines brightest when it's darkest. Why does God allow persecution to come? To let your light shine. Because when it's darkest, your light is brightest. Let your light shine. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I think it is quick and powerful. Thank you, Father, that we can know it. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who illuminates Scripture to us. And Father, as we study these end time events in the weeks ahead, Father, help us to understand the motivation for why you gave these passages of scripture to us. Help us to understand it's not just for our knowledge, not just for us to be able to brag about what we know or to impress other people, but Father, it is genuinely to motivate us to let our light shine in darkness, to share the gospel where we are, to trust you that you are a sovereign, all-powerful God, and that you are able to save people with your word and your gospel alone. And Father, help us to have enough faith to exercise that this week. Help us, Father, to trust you in the little things. And, Father, help us to be faithful with the little things so that you'll give us more. Lord, I don't know the hearts of everybody here, and I don't know what their thoughts are when it comes to end-time events. But, Father, I know what your word says. And, Father, there is a special blessing that comes when we read the book of Revelation, when we study the end-time events. There is a motivation and a blessing that each believer gets because it helps motivate us and focus us Number one, to worship you and that you are a sovereign God. But number two, that you chose us 
to be your representation, to be your Noah in our time period. Father, you have called us to go out and warn of a coming judgment, a coming storm, a coming flood, a coming judgment that is in our time period. But Father, ours isn't about water. It's about the end of the world. It's about persecution. It's about death and destruction and purification. And Father, I pray that as we see the day coming ahead, that we would warn more and more people not to go into this period, that they could trust you, Father, and be saved from the wrath to come. So Father, help us to be your missionaries, help us to be ambassadors, and help us to do the work of the ministry for your glory and for the benefit of others. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said.